I have one more announcement. Yesterday was a special day for one of our members, Marianne Allman, turned 88 years old yesterday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Marianne. We're really glad you're here this morning. Okay, we're going to look at um, a portion of scripture in which Jesus calls a disciple. And the disciple he calls is a guy named Levi. We're going to read in the Gospel of Mark. Levi has another name that shows up in the Gospels, and it's Matthew. So if you've ever read or opened the Bible and seen the, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, that was written by this guy that we're going to talk about today, whose other name is Levi. Sometimes people in the Bible go by a couple of names. It's hard to keep track sometimes, but Levi is Matthew. We get the backstory to the Gospel of Matthew here. So with that in mind, let me read from Mark chapter 2, and I'll read 13 through 17. He, that's Jesus, went out again by the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Levi rose and followed Jesus. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. Uh, it is unchanging. We read that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So, Lord, will you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, soften our hearts to hear your word this morning. Change us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that, um, that I just returned last night from Cuba. I've never said that before. Uh, it, it, is, it is an odd thing in some ways to say. My brother is getting married uh, in March, and his bachelor party weekend was this weekend in Havana. And so I got in late last night, and I'll just tell you a little bit. Last night, uh, Owen picked me up from the airport, and I got out of the airport. I texted Owen to tell him where I was. He picked me up at the place where I was, and I got in his car, and we drove home. Everything was extremely easy and comfortable. Now, I want to just compare that to the ride that I had in the taxi after I got out of the airport in Havana. If you've ever been to a foreign country, this may ring some bells. I, I got it. We got out. Actually, I was able to fly with, with another one of the guys who was there, so it was really nice not to be alone. But we walk out of the airport. Neither one of us really speak much Spanish at all. And a taxi driver approaches us, says, you need a taxi. And, of course, we need a taxi. And so we just kind of get into his car uh, and, you know, trusting that that car is going to take us where we need to go. Again, I can't really tell him where we need to go. I don't know how far it is to where we need to go because I can't get on the Internet because my phone doesn't work in Cuba. And I don't know how much it's going to cost me of this incredible wad of Cuban pesos which may, by the way, be worth anywhere from 24 pesos to the dollar to 180 pesos to the dollar. We were quoted all of those in our time in Cuba. 
So I don't know how much it's going to cost. We get in the car. There's no running meter. And this guy just kind of starts driving. And if you've ever been in a taxi, probably in any Latin American country, um, I mean, your heart starts racing a little bit, right? So we're driving down this highway, highway. It's the, the most highway thing, I guess, that's, that's there. And we're probably going 65, 70 miles an hour. We're passing everybody. And by everybody, I mean cars, motorcycles, scooters with multiple people on them, bicycles on the highway, pedestrians, and at least one horse-drawn cart. And we are passing them within inches, okay? And so my heart rate is rising, you know, precipitously. The only thing probably that's keeping it in check is the fact that it feels like the tailpipe is actually coming out of the back seat. Because, and I think I'm going to pass out from carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, I look in the front. His car has all kinds of lights flashing on the dash, one of which I'm pretty sure means that his brakes are about to fail. And he's on the phone the whole time talking to somebody that I think, I mean, could be his buddy that's going to meet us wherever we're going so that they can rob us. I don't know because I don't speak Spanish. We got there fine. But I tell you that to say, uh, I'm not a nervous person, but, but I was uncomfortable. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. You know, when you, when you read a passage like this of Jesus calling a disciple, what we read is that Jesus calls Levi, and then they go to his house, and they have dinner. And it sounds really great. It's exciting. It sounds really simple. But I'm going to tell you, under the surface, it was pretty uncomfortable. There's a lot of uncomfortability happening in, under the surface when Jesus comes and meets this man. In fact, it may be your experience as well, is that when Jesus draws near to us, maybe that's for the first time, maybe that's repeatedly throughout your life, he has a habit of making us a bit uncomfortable, doesn't he? And he does so both internally and externally. We have to deal with ourselves in ways maybe that we've never had to deal with before, and we actually deal with others in ways maybe that we never have had to deal with before. We're going to take a look at Levi and how Jesus unsettles his life and how Jesus wants to do the same with us. So let's look at those two things, internal and external. Internal meaning Jesus is wanting to come in and kind of create a little bit of havoc in our own lives. By the way, all of my illustrations are going to be from Cuba this week. Um, one of the things that we did, one of the things that we did uh, the night before I left was we went to this just fantastic kind of dinner club, and we, we were served dinner and drinks, and there's music. It's this, um, this incredible Cuban music collective called uh, the Buena Vista Social Club that we got to see, and um, beautiful historic Cuban music, and their, really their goal is to kind of keep this traditional music alive. And it was a fantastic show, but it was also a very interactive show. So they're all kind of like in and out of the audience and coming and interacting with us, and they're taking people sometimes on stage. And so, you know, one, one woman got up on stage, and then they put um, some timbales, which are some drums, you know, in front of her, and they asked her, to, you know, to play the drums with them, and it was fun. And then they, they had somebody else kind of come up on stage and do other things. Well, um, yours truly actually got grabbed, uh, to brought up on stage, and I tell you what, if they would have put me in front of the drums, um, I actually have decent rhythm. I could probably have kept up. If they would have given me a microphone, uh, I wouldn't have been afraid to sing. I've sung in front of people before. It would have been fine. But I was asked to dance. 
And I was asked to dance next to a professional dancer. So she's doing all of this incredible Latin dancing, and my body just doesn't move like that, okay? So here I am up on stage in front of everyone, caught on video, you know, by my brother, and no, I'm not going to show it to you, um, making an absolute fool of myself on stage, trying to move my body to all of these incredible Latin rhythms. It, it was a feeling of being very exposed, but, you know, I have a feeling Levi experienced some similar things. We're told he's at his tax booth. We, we read maybe a little bit more in the Gospel of Luke about Levi. He's a tax collector. And we know tax collectors are people who are collecting taxes from the Romans, but they're collecting or collecting for the Romans and collecting them for, from their own people, the Jews. So it's money that's going to Rome, the occupying power, and they're taking it from their own people, and oftentimes they're taking a pretty big cut in doing so. So here's Levi, Matthew, in his tax booth, doing his job, collecting his taxes, and Jesus shows up. Now think about it just for a second. Jesus is A, a rabbi. B, he's got quite a crowd behind him. And C, he may, he may be the Messiah. What is Levi, this tax collector, supposed to do when this popular healer and rabbi who might be the long-awaited Messiah shows up in his tax booth? Well, I tell you one thing he probably felt is he probably felt pretty exposed. He probably felt pretty uncomfortable. He probably felt like all of his faults were about to be on display. When we remodeled our house, when we bought our house, we actually had to do a lot of work on it. And um, one of the things that I thought was going to be the really simple thing to do was we just wanted to have a gas stove instead of a, a, an electric stove. And it seemed really easy. We have a gas uh, furnace that literally is in the attic right above the kitchen. We have a gas water heater. There's gas lines going everywhere. So we thought, well, can we just drop a gas line down and put in a gas stove? And our builder said, um, said yeah, actually that part's super easy. But... But, but you need to know this, is that when I call the plumber to come and, and put that line in, he is going to test your gas lines. <laughs> and your house was built in 1975. And so you know what's going to happen? The tests will fail. <laughs> There's a sense that Jesus is doing something similar here, I think, with, with Levi. He is drawing him near and he's saying, I'm, I'm going to kind of put you through the ringer. He's stepping on his toes. He's getting all up in Levi's business, and he's changing his world. I mean, think about the ways in which his world changes. Jesus shows up at his workplace, and in Luke, we actually read that he left his tax booth. Now, we don't know if he left that job completely, but if we know anything from Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, another tax collector, we know at least that it totally revolutionized the way that he worked. He changed the structure of his business or he completely left it and he gave a bunch of money back. So Levi's workplace is being invaded here. Let me just ask you, what would it be like if Jesus showed up at your workplace? How would you feel if Jesus showed up to your job? Would you be kind of quickly escorting him out? Don't, 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 look, don't look at that. You know, let, let, come over here. Let's look at the break room. Let's get something to eat. How do you feel about Jesus getting all up in your vocational business? But also, it's more than just that, right? His vocation is also tied to his income, his wealth, 
Actually, in this account in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that, uh, that, that he threw a, a, a lavish, a lavish feast, a feast for Jesus and his disciples, something that would have cost him quite a bit of money. How do you feel about Jesus getting all up in your business financially? How do you feel about opening your checkbook, your bank account, your retirement accounts, your, your list of, of favorite things to Jesus? Does he have access? Is he at the center of your finances? Or what about your social life? Levi just opened his home to a bunch of people that, by the way, probably didn't like him. We're told that Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee and Levi's tax booth is by the sea, which means probably that he's there mostly collecting taxes on fishermen. Who has Jesus just called to be disciples? Simon and Andrew and James and John, fishermen. So probably the guys that showed up at Levi's house to have dinner with him, to have this nice party, were people that specifically did not like him. How about your social life? Is Jesus invited to be at the center of your social life? Friends, the truth is, Jesus does not want to stand around on the edges of your life. When, he, when you invite him in, when you have an encounter with Jesus, whether that, again, is for the first time or daily, he wants to get in the middle. He will get in your business. He will upset some apple carts. He will make things uncomfortable. Now, let's... Flip the coin and look outside, because not only is Levi called to deal with himself, the uncomfortability, uncomfortable, uncomfortability, whatever that word is, in himself, but also externally, invited to uncomfortable times with others. I just want to, again, don't miss the, 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 the obvious here, what, what Levi does what Mark tells us immediately after he's called and he follows is he throws a party. Now, that's fascinating to me. Levi does not just leave with Jesus and go kind of get sequestered somewhere. He doesn't go to a Bible study. That's not what we read next. We don't read that the disciples kind of had their disciple house kind of on the edges of the city where they were able to retreat and rest and everything was fine and they kind of called Levi in and he got to be one of them and went through an initiation process and had, you know, a special handshake and everything. That's not what we read. Levi did not retreat from the culture that he was in. He actually dove straight into it. We have a, a core value in our church that we like to say this way is that we want to move toward people and away from their worldview at the same time. Let me say it again if you've never heard me say that before. We want to move toward people and away from their worldview at the same time. What that means is that we are going to put ourselves in conflict. Think about, think about the, the world, um, the world culturally as a river. It's flowing down, it's going one way. The Bible tells us actually that the mindset of the world without Christ is actually antithetical to God. So that river is flowing away from God's law, away from God's desires, away from God's glory. And there's a couple of approaches that you can take as a Christian. One of those approaches is to say, you know what, I'm so concerned, rightfully, about holding to doctrine, about holding to the truth, about holding to the gospel truth, about proclaiming God's word and, and not having that uh, sullied by the world around me, that I'm going to move as far away from that river of culture as I can in order to protect 
God's good doctrine. Of course, in moving away from that, you're also moving away from people. That's, generally speaking, the way that the historic fundamentalist church has worked. We will retreat and form our own little society away from culture because we don't want to get dirty by it. The opposite extreme is also to be seen everywhere, which is in a good desire to move toward people, to want to serve them, to want to love them, to want to show mercy to them, to come alongside people and be with them and show them the love of Jesus, we're going to get in that river and we're going to just build ourselves a boat and we're going to go right downstream with it. And we're going to let go of orthodox doctrine, we're going to let go of the truth in order that we might draw near to people. That is basically a description of the historic liberal church. Usually pretty good at loving people, drawing near to them, usually not as good at holding true to God's doctrine and holding to the orthodox beliefs. But what Levi does here is fascinating, and it's what Christians are called to. He dives into the river and starts walking upstream. Do you see that? He throws a party, and look who's there. Levi, Jesus, the disciples, and all of Levi's tax collector buddies. And oh, by the way, the Pharisees, I don't even know how they got there. If they stumbled in, if they were spying, or if they were invited. What a crazy group of people. They're all hanging out in Levi's house, and it seems like his mentality is, you know what? I just met this guy. He changed my life. Let's just get everybody kind of in here and see what happens. And you have this incredible mess of people, and Jesus does not say, whoa, slow down there, Levi. No, Jesus dives right in. It's actually what we're called to, to move toward people, toward the culture, to engage the culture around us, to love the place that God has put us, to hope to heal the things that are hard and broken about our place, and at the same time, not to embrace the things that our culture loves. Friends, that is hard. That will make you uncomfortable. Walking upstream creates conflict. Of course, conflict also creates conversion. Conversion never happens in those other places, does it? If there's never a problem, there's never a need for change. So let's just talk quickly about how we do that. How are we called to move toward people and away from their worldview at the same time? Well, honestly, I think one of the things that we can do is exactly what Levi has done here. We simply introduce our friends to our friends. We introduce our Christian friends to our non-Christian friends, which, by the way, maybe if you picked up on this means that you should have non-Christian friends. We introduce our friends to our friends. We get a a diverse group of people together, and then we kind of just let Jesus go. We let the Holy Spirit go to work, and we say, well, let's see what happens. There's some simple ways you can do that, right? You can simply invite one of your unchurched friends to dinner and then invite one of your church friends to come and join you and see what happens. You don't have to talk about Religion, you don't have to talk about Jesus necessarily in the first time. You, you, you don't, it doesn't need to be so programmed. Honestly, get people together. Get people together and in prayer, invite Jesus into the room. See what he does. Or you can just invite somebody to your community group. It might be a little scary. might be a little weird. Somebody goes, what are you all talking about? Wait, wait, what's going on in that? They ask a question that nobody else asks. It's okay. Get people together. introduce your friends to your friends and let the Holy Spirit go to work and see what happens. Or bring somebody to worship and just see what happens and let your friends love on them and let God's word kind of get uncaged like a lion. 
Let the Holy Spirit loose to see what happens. It's strategic hospitality, but it's not so strategic in that you've got to plan everything out. You can actually relax and rely on the, on the Lord to go to work. So those are some easy ways that we can kind of jump in in that way. Let me close with this. It's really the power for it. How, how, how can we do something like that? How, it's good to even think, how, how can a person like Levi, how does a person like Levi go from being a tax collector to having Jesus and all of the disciples over at his house with all his tax collector buddies? How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen in our own power. <laughs> Another thing just to notice that's really, really clear. Don't, don't let the easy stuff get by you. We oftentimes look at these calling passages and we see Jesus come and he calls these fishermen and Jesus calls Levi. And, and it's fantastic. It's amazing to look and say, Jesus calls and then they, they just leave, right? They just respond immediately. And, and oftentimes I think I've always thought like, man, that's incredible that they did that. It's incredible that they responded that way. Friends, that is not normal. In fact, it's not humanly possible. What we're supposed to see, what is highlighted here for us, is not the response, but the call. I had someone ask me the other day a great question. He said, um, he said you know, do we have any records of, of the people that Jesus raised to new life, somebody like Lazarus, do we have any records of what happened to Lazarus afterwards? Do we know anything about his life? What, what did he do? Did he go and proclaim? Did he write anything down? What does his life look like? And you know, the truth is, I don't think we do. I don't think we have any records of the lives of the people who Jesus raised to new life. What does, what does their life after death look like? But maybe that's on purpose. Maybe, that our, maybe our attention is meant to be drawn not to the art, but to the artist. Maybe our attention is supposed to stay on the one who calls rather than the one who responds. And friends, what is on display for us here in this passage is a Savior with incredible authority, with incredible power, with incredible magnetism, someone who simply speaks a word and it happens. Of course, we read elsewhere in the Bible that it's Jesus who spoke all things into creation. The one who spoke light into existence has spoken to Levi. He spoke to James and John. He spoke to Simon and Andrew. And when someone with that kind of power speaks, you can't help but change. It's fascinating to me that Mark decided to put this episode directly after this episode of Jesus calling these fishermen. In fact, in many ways, maybe it shows us what it looks like for a diverse group of people to be met with the power and the authority of Jesus and to do the only thing that is possible is to simply drop everything and follow him, to proclaim his love and his majesty. Very briefly, I love the way that this passage ends. The Pharisees, who are always wondering why Jesus does things so oddly, say this, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, if Jesus has the power 
to turn a tax collector into a gospel author, a tax collector into a disciple. If he has the power to change a heart like that, then he has the power, the authority, the comforting authority to change our lives as well. Will you invite him in, even in the places where it's not so comfortable? Will you invite him to work through you, even in the places where it's not so comfortable? Because, friends, he loves to do it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're, uh, we're really grateful for, for your word this morning, and we're grateful for the testimony of this man who I think if he were here would sing at the top of his lungs with us, I, I was blind and now I can see. I was lost and now I'm found. And I'm found because Jesus found me. Lord, will you show us more this morning how to celebrate and elevate your authority and your power and how we might, Lord, walk humbly even into the uncomfortable situations of dealing with our own selves and of dealing with those around us. Lord, work through us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.